0: I'm Rob Wolf, and welcome to episode number 18 of Unformidable, where we take a look back at some of the less heralded Mets in our beloved franchise's quirky history, since every player who dons the orange and blue is, in their own way, Unformidable. So, the trade deadline is upon us, and boy, the Mets certainly know how to make for memorable trade deadlines. Now... You know, because the franchise is so memorable and the trade's so memorable, that doesn't necessarily make for great, unformidable candidates, because you're Victor Zambranos and Scott Casmeres and Rick Ownby and Tom Seaver and Keith Hernandez. These are all just names etched in lore to an extent. And perhaps we've created some new ones this week. Perhaps uh, Anthony Kay or Simeon Woods Richardson will be on that list someday. I mean, don't get me wrong, I actually thought that it was a good trade in a vacuum, but of course trades aren't made in a vacuum, they're made on major league rosters, and it does seem like the myths are, sometimes it feels like Brody just likes to do things just to do things, which is a little alarming, but we'll see how it all plays out. I, you know, before I even start, just was starting this podcast, I found out we traded Vargi. I mean, selling him for straw would not be a bad move to me in any vacuum whatsoever, but uh, it should should be an interesting couple of days. But for the context of this podcast, we, uh, we don't know who those future Unformidable Mets are that might be being made and brought to the franchise or sent away from the franchise as we speak or over the next couple of days. So... As I said, I felt like a lot of the trade deadline players were very memorable, and even if they didn't have long Met careers, sometimes that just makes them very memorable that they're in a notable trade. So for this week, I just decided to focus on a Met who was traded to the Mets and away from the Mets, and in fact was traded eight times in his Major League Baseball career. Today we're going to look back at a memorable one-plus season Met. Mr. Willie Montanez, who, though he was not specifically traded at the trade deadline as far as I can see, uh, you know, I know the trade deadline has kind of moved and fluctuated, but no June 15th or July 31st or August 31st trades in his ledger, but boy was he moved in some interesting trades involving some prominent names and some Hall of Famers and in fact, in what you could argue is the most famous or notable trade in Major League Baseball history. So, away we go and look at the journey of Willie Montanez in his Major League career before and until he got to the New York Mets. So, Willie Montanez was born in Catania, Puerto Rico, where he was originally drafted by the St. Louis Cardinals in 1965 as an amateur. He spent one season with the florida rookie league cardinals and he was selected by the california angels in the 1965 rule five draft so memo to myself i want to ask our minor league team at, from complex to queens or let's just start googling away and find out exactly how the rule five draft works because i didn't think i, I assume the rules have changed because i thought you were not eligible for that after one year in an organization as a 17 year old but hey that's how it worked in Willie montanez's day it would appear. So he was drafted by the California Angels and he made his major league debut with them at the age of 18. He appeared in their 1966 season opener as a pinch runner. He uh, did not get in he did not get in a bat at the game. He, he just pinch ran. He appeared in eight games, mostly as a pinch runner, did record two at bats as a California Angel striking out in each of them. He did steal a base though. And uh, I guess the, the Angels, I guess the role, that aspect of the Rule 5 draft apparently still worked the same way because uh, he, they sent him down and had to return him to the Cardinals organization on May 5th of 1966. And he actually wouldn't return to the major leagues until 1970. So it's a, it's a fascinating back of the baseball card, 1966, 1970. Uh, so he, he played in the Cardinals org, moving up slowly. His numbers were okay not not dramatic you know I know you're not supposed to scout the stat lot stat line but that's all I really have right now at this point I couldn't find any late 60s early Montagnez scouting reports the numbers were solid but he was also way below league average again he made his major league debut at 18 so he's in you know double a at age 20 so I'm presuming he was still a prospect with some promise or you know some possibility of promise and on October 7th 1969 The St. Louis Cardinals made a trade that did not involve Willie Montanez quite yet. You may have heard of this trade. uh, The St. Louis Cardinals traded Tim McCarver, Joe Horner, Byron Brown, and Kurt Flood to the Philadelphia Phillies for Dick Allen, Jerry Johnson, and Cookie Rojas just after the season ended in October of 1969. Kurt Flood, uh, citing the team's poor record... The dilapidated Connie Mack Stadium and his fear of belligerent and racist fans in Philadelphia decided he didn't want to report to Philadelphia, didn't want to quote him, pick up 12 years of my life and move to another city. So Kurt Flood refused to report in the trade, and baseball history was about to be made. Flood met with uh, Players Union head Marvin Miller, who informed him the union was prepared to fund a lawsuit. If you wanted, so Flood wrote to then-Commissioner Bowie Kuhn, demanded to be declared a free agent. And that's probably, I understand that might be a more interesting story, but it's not a Met story, so can't go too far down that road. But it was a case that went to the Supreme Court, Flood v. Kuhn, 407 U.S. 258, for you lawyers and site checkers out there. Uh, my my office job is at a law firm, so I, I could pull that sucker up, and maybe I have, but don't tell the people in my office. And while baseball's antitrust exemption was upheld in that case, it was, you know, I think it's considered the first brick in the wall towards free agency, you know, which, of course, Kurt Flood was instrumental in getting this process going and sacrificed a lot of his career to it and should probably be in the Hall of Fame with Marvin Miller for that. But, you know, don't take my word for it. There's probably much better, more eloquent books written about it or and or a great baseball project song about kurt flood or any other places you could hear about kurt flood and that interesting aspect of baseball history so you might be saying what does this digression have to do with willie montañez well in april of 1970 when it was clear that kurt flood was not going to report to the philadelphia phillies the cardinals had to send willie montañez and jim browning to the phillies to complete this trade montañez appeared in 18 games with the phillies in 1970 before joining the team in full in 1971 where he was starting center fielder even though he was generally first baseman by trade he hit 30 home runs which was his actually wound up being his career high had 99 rbis and finished second in the national league rookie of the year balloting behind atlanta braves catcher earl williams and all he'd have a long and Pretty average career, actually, as we'll discuss later, although he was very memorable and had great flair. Uh, that would actually wind up being his best season that rookie year. He had a 798 OPS, so 124 OPS plus and finished, as we said, second in the rookie of the year balloting, and actually really, I think, was, I think he had a 1.9 war, according to baseball reference, which was the highest he'd record in a single season in his career, although he was steadily average. He was with the Phillies until May of 1975, eventually moving to his natural position of first base in 73, where he stayed for the remainder of his career. In 1975, he was traded to the San Francisco Giants for Gary Maddox, so trade number two. Then the following year, trade number three again in midseason, Montañez found himself changing teams, going from the Giants to the Atlanta Braves. Less less notable, Daryl Evans was involved in that trade. Uh, he came from the Braves to the Giants in that trade. 1976, uh, the only black ink, as it were, on the back of Montanez's baseball card, aside from two years when he led the league in grounding into double plays, is that he played in 163 games to lead the National League. Thanks to the timing of the trade, he had played 60 games for the Giants, and he got in 103 for the Braves, so it's a pretty unbeatable, uh, you know, unless you get one of those cool one-game playoffs, it's, it's hard to hard to beat the 163 games played. So Montanez finished 76 with the Braves and had a solid 1977 season um, average by league standards, just a 99 OPS plus, but with a very poor Braves team, he made the all-star team as their only representative in his sole full season with the Braves. So after 1977, for the fourth of eight times, Willie Montanez is about to be traded. Now, can you guess a team that might have interest in a veteran presence who appeared on an all-star team and had a notable name in Major League Baseball, even if he might be heading towards the downside of his career and might not be worth trading for. If you said the New York Mets, well, you've been paying attention. On December 8th, 1977, Willie Montanez was part of a four-team, I believe 11-player trade. If I tried to break down the whole trade to you that's more time than I'm allotted for this silly little podcast so just to note some big names in the trade the Texas Rangers sent Burt Blylevin to the Pirates the Mets sent John Matlack to the Rangers and John Milner to the Pirates that seems like a lot to give up there and the Mets acquired Willie Montanez from the Braves and also acquired Tom Grieve from the Texas Rangers in that trade Oh, wait, 12 players. The Mets, the, Mets, the Mets got the infamous player to be named later, who wound up being Ken Henderson, which, who came over in spring training. So there you go. Four teams, 12 players, trade number four in the career of Willie Montañez. Geez, no wonder, Kurt Flood. Uh, God, imagine getting traded eight times in your career and having to move that many times. And people wonder why you would maybe object to the reserve clause and wants some say and where you go in life. And people get angry at free agency. But anyway... Different podcast, different different subject. So Billy Montaignez really spent one season plus with the Mets, uh, but he was pretty memorable, and and people's met memories of him seem very positive. It's kind of just before my time. The first year I really remember is 1979, and even that's a little tangential. But, uh, yeah, then of course, these things were true of him throughout his career, but, you know, just focusing on the Mets, of course, 1978 was a very dark, bleak uh, season. Uh the franchise was still reeling from trading away the franchise, Tom Seaver in nineteen seventy seven. Uh you know, John Matlack leaving in the end of 77, another piece of that 73 NL champion team. So while Montagnez had a very Willie Montagnez-y 1978 with the Mets, and that to say he is just a very standard uh 17 homers, 96 RBIs, 712 ops, 102 ops plus, so pretty, you know, pretty league average production at first base. But Willie Montanez achieved average production with flair and with style. He was very flashy first baseman. Uh, flashy sounds loaded. Let's, let's let's say with style and panache. Uh, he fielded his position and he hit and he was memorable. Uh, Willie Montanez was doing the snatch-catch uh, long before Ricky Henderson on foul pop-ups. He had a great style Yeah, uh, you know, when he would catch the ball at first. After recording an out, he would uh, kind of make the switch behind his back. He would uh, pass the ball behind his back before flipping it back to the pitcher. And he had a very notable pre-at-bat routine, and especially home run trot. Uh, when he'd walk up to the plate, he would flip the bat in his hands, uh kind of vertically. You can find video of it on YouTube, uh three or four times. He had a very deliberate uh tick take his position at the at the plate. And when he would hit a home run, he had a very notable home run trot. He would uh slow as he approached each bait, he would slow down a lot and do a little crow hop, almost like jumping on the base. Uh sometimes put his hand on his helmet, not quite a. Not quite the Edwin Encarnacion parrot, but uh, you know, also very cool. You know, then he'd kind of speed up and repeat the process, jumping on every base, and he, then he would really walk uh, those last twenty feet down the third base line to home plate to cross the plate. So again, for in, in my opinion, for a franchise in dire need of anything positive or anything memorable, this colorful, this colorful style and his joie de vivre. Uh, was a really welcome tonic, and i, I actually found it interesting that uh, the Met memories I could find, and the you know the family that I have who watched the Mets in the '70s had just nothing but fond, delightful memories of that style and panache of Willie Montanes, and again seem to remember him more fondly than his numbers might dictate they should. Found that particularly interesting because you know I don't know I just. Just picture in today's day and age the Mike Princesses, uh, ball, you know, bawling and moaning, uh, showing up, showing up the team of uh, the team, and uh, you know, just the probably racially tinged uh, hatred he would get for any kind of style or the, any kind of styling that he did. So, you know, maybe that was out there, or maybe the players just settled that between the lines by throwing at each other and giving each other concussions. I don't know, but. Uh, the memories I could find of Willie Montanez were very positive and, and appreciative of that joy. And in fact, a uh, great video I'm going to tweet out on YouTube. Uh, the Mets in 1978 booked the San Diego Chicken to come out to Shea Stadium. I have a little, little problem with that personally. I mean, when you have the greatest mascot in the world, why are you bringing in an outsider to perform? But uh, one highlight of that uh, appearance was the chicken, he came out of the Mets' dugout and, and just did a Willie Montanez impression from flipping the bat to walking up to home plate to mocking hitting a home run and mocking the Willie Montanez walk around the bases. And if you can look up a Willie Montanez home run trot and then look up the chicken doing it, it's uh very impressive. Damn that chicken. Unfortunately, 1979 uh, was very sub-average for Willie Montanez. He played uh, 109 games with the Mets. He only hit five homers, 47 RBIs, batted 234. It's actually some of the worst numbers he had over a a season or a part of a season. So on August 12th, 1979, Willie Montanez was on the move again in a rare trade that really worked out well for the Mets, where... I guess not that rare, but, you know. At any rate, they traded Willie Montanez to the Texas Rangers for Ed Lynch and, let's face it, probable future, unformidable candidate Mike Jorgensen. So uh, a couple of players who contributed a lot to to the franchise for Willie Montanez. And Montanez would play only three more seasons for several more franchises. Again, he was traded... Eight times in his career, the Met trade was trade number five. Uh, He would go from the Rangers to the San Diego Padres in a trade that involved Gaylord Perry. He went from the Padres to the Montreal Expos for Tony Phillips and the Immortal Cash Considerations. And coming full circle, he went from the Expos to the Pirates for John Milner, who was once traded for Ole Montanez, as we mentioned, four years earlier. Montanez's career numbers were pretty pretty standard. Uh, he had a 275 average, 327 on base percentage, 402 slugging, so 729 OPS, 102 OPS plus. Like I said, pretty average. His MET numbers are below those uh, thanks to that crash and burn in 1979. He had a 665 OPS and an 87 OPS plus. Uh, statistically, The only season worse than, uh, well, his 79 portion with the Mets. He actually did really well with the Rangers when the Mets traded him to kind of balance out his 79 numbers. But uh, the only place he really had worse career numbers than the Mets was his career denouement in Pittsburgh. But overall, he was just a consistently average baseball player he played he appeared in 1632 career games and he recorded 1.7 career b war according to baseball reference and over you know 14 seasons in the big leagues as I said his war was almost never above or below, below two uh, he, he was consistently almost in a negative one to positive one range his high was that 1971 rookie of the year season where he recorded a 1.9 war and he had a low of negative 0.8 in 1979 with the Mets and Rangers, negative two of that with the Mets. But again, he, he kind of finished off the season with a flourish in Texas once he left the Mets, finishing with a flourish when you leave the Mets. Who could imagine? But he, he was definitely definitely very memorable. He, he was considered a great fielder, uh, a great arm for a first baseman, as probably evidenced by his playing in the outfield, not, not just in right, but in center as a young player. Uh, you know, so his fielding numbers were good, but there are other mitigating factors. You know, a mediocre eye, so you know, on-base percentage wasn't great. Grounded into a lot of double plays. I mentioned that he lead, led the league twice, so that probably, uh, you know, his counting stats probably are a little more uh, positive-looking, although really not all that much more positive-looking uh, than, than you know his more advanced numbers. But he did it with style and joy, so that's something to really appreciate. Something that clearly made him unformidable. Louis Montanez is 71 today. Uh, well, not not today. I don't think it's his birthday. But he's he 71 <laughs> this year. He's healthy after a recent battle with cancer, and he makes frequent appearances at fan events. Uh, he made one for the Mets this year in April. I th- think he makes the most with the Phillies, where he probably did have the best seasons of his career. And one other final note that I thought was really cool is if you look at those career similarity scores on, on Baseball Reference, his highest career similarity score is with Hubie Brooks. So love, love to drop those random Met references. I mean, that, that's really what we're doing here writ large, isn't it, is random Met references. At any rate, we hope you liked shining a little light on the light-filled Willie Montanez. Thank you for listening to Unformidable. Please go to AmazonAvenue.com for more mess-related content. You can follow Amazon Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find this and all of our amazing pods wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify. Please subscribe, leave a review for us. It really helps. Original music by Bunga. I'm on Twitter at WolfRR, and you can also reach out to the show at, un- at Unformidable on Twitter. Thank you, and as always, let's go men.